Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. Enjoy the podcast. It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Teachers Talk Radio for the Late Show with Brent Poland and Adam Spence. And Brent will be joining us in just a moment. If you've clicked play on this listening back, we appreciate it. Thank you very much. Um, This show is sponsored and supported by Pearson MFL. Um, If you want to find out more about Pearson and their work, then we can hopefully share with you some links and information as we go through the show this evening once Brent joins and uh, we can we can talk about some of the things that they have on offer, particularly with their with their new GCSE specifications. So, without further ado, I'm going to hand over to Brent. Just need to unmute Brent. Oh, thank God for that! I was thinking, is something going wrong? You know, when you do that double take, you think to yourself, is something happens? My technology working? You have technology fright. Um, yes. So tonight. Uh, I'm on my um, holidays tomorrow morning, uh, which is fantastic. And I'm sure that uh, some, there's still some people um, working up to this week. Uh, I'm sure some of our listeners in the, in the continent have already broken up. Uh, I know that uh, anybody who's from my original homeland would have broken up at the end of June and they'll go back to September. And I know uh, certain people have been having a go at certain people who still, despite, you know, the summer holidays, educators don't rest. We don't rest. We, we kind of um, put things to the back burner. But we're always looking for opportunities, aren't we? I mean, that's the thing. I'm taking my children away on a trip and I'm always looking for the educational value in what I'm doing, which brings me to what tonight is really going to be about, which is what is the educational value in school trips? Because my theory is the sus is that educational trips, much like many other things, are one of those things that are slowly dying death by a thousand cuts. Um, it's the first time I was on a residential was last week. Uh, for not for the want of me volunteering or for not being up for it, uh, I'm, I've always been one of those people um, who's always wanted to to go on educational trips because it's one of the reasons I became an educator. I'm, I'm originally a geography teacher. I'm now a head of history. I've always loved both subjects. But as a geographer, I love the world. I've traveled the world myself. I went to Australia with next to nothing, no credit card, got a job at the Olympic Games. And I've always had uh, that little bit of the Irish charm, being able to open doors. So I once worked in a casino in America where everybody thought that I was a lucky leprechaun. Um, Where did I get some of that confidence from? I got some of that confidence from the fact that um, I did lots of residentials as a child. And even though I came from a very impoverished background in in an area that was the middle of the troubles, my school always ran residentials. Uh, They always ran retreats, religious retreats. They had geography fieldwork. I never forget my geography fieldwork. They took me up the Moran Mountains and on a residential outdoor pursuit centre. 
at 15, 16, and it was one of the reasons why I chose my my A level. And then at my A level, I remember going up to County Donegal to do a beach study on the wild Atlantic coast, and it was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal, proper hardcore good old-fashioned residential, um, you know, the teacher being quite relaxed and, and having, a, a, you know, a little bit of a, a pint of Guinness while he wasn't looking. Well, actually, he was looking. So um, <laughs> he was joining us. So that's the thing, is that that's what, it's going to sound like, you know, good old days. But that was the good old days. We went on residentials. You know, children didn't have 75 different dietary requirements. There wasn't 55 pieces of paperwork to fill out. There wasn't evolved systems. There wasn't, you know, multiple telephone communications devices that children could stash God knows where and let their parents know what's happening on a residential before you've even found out what's happened on a residential. And I get why they are something that is dying a death. COVID, of course, has put pay to it. Um, I'm going to mention the B word. I'm sorry. I'm not going to offend people here, but it has been more difficult to go to the continent of Europe um, as a result of Brexit. So, you know, cost of living crisis, children can't afford, parents can't afford, you know, residentials. So, and also is the willingness within the teaching profession as we've become more corporate um, and as people are becoming more corporate, you don't get paid for going on a residential. You know, it's a point I made to children last week, you know, you know, after 3.15 or end of end of school time, I mean, that's it. You know, this is free. This is the time that I'm giving towards them. And when they weren't going to bed at one o'clock in the morning, I took their free time off them and reminded them that I had, you know, given up being with my two young children to be here. And I had no problem saying that to some parents when it was quite clear that their children weren't behaving as, you know, I'm here with your children to ensure that my children don't see their father this week. But thanks very much for that. And I have no problem guilting people into that because it's the fact of the matter is it's a big ask. It's a big ask. It's a big ask and a big responsibility and in the world of litigation and the world of blame culture can i blame some of my colleagues if they don't want to take a the risk b the hassle and c what what's what are they going to get from it you know they're just going to get criticism thankfully at the end of my last residential last week there were quite a few few parents that stayed behind they knew it was the last week of term they knew we were exhausted a couple of handshakes a couple of thank yous a couple of well done's a couple of oh, how did you cope and thank you and fair play. And that makes it all the worthwhile. I've still in touch with a lot of my ex-peoples over the last 20 years. Some of the best memories I have of them were found on residentials. Ski trips in Chalet in France, um, international exchange with Dubai, the UAE. I, I've taken children to Nepal um, to do a world challenge where we've climbed the Himalayas. Nothing more amazing. Um, taking trips to the battlefields in Ypres, which is absolutely phenomenal. Um, haven't done that in seven years. Again, the person who had the expertise of that um, left the school. Um, and as a result, I just haven't been able to find other people to help me organise that trip. But we used to have a biannual, um, a biannual trip to Ypres and um, Thiepval. And you sort of said to the kids, we were taking you to the battlefields of World War One. We're taking you to graveyards, which sounds like a Tim Burton movie. It sounds quite macabre. But there's nothing more powerful than taking a 15-year-old to the grave of a 15-year-old and watching their brain just try and understand that someone their age fought and died on, on the battlefields of Passchendaele. 
it's extremely powerful. It's a very, very powerful moment. And I, I've done that where I've had, you know, very hard to reach, you know, rebel, rebellious student who many said, you shouldn't take this kid on, on a residential. You shouldn't take him residential. So what a risk you're taking. You, you, you're silly. He doesn't deserve it. And myself and my other, my other colleague, the, the head of history at the time, thought, no, this is the perfect trip to, to wise him up. And I never forget when, when he was standing next to the grave of a 15-year-old and he just basically had a, a complete meltdown. He just couldn't understand that you know, this person's my age. What was he doing here? Why, why, why? You know, that this is ridiculous. And the, 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 the feeling that that was defining in that moment of that young man's life was, was palpable. I, I could feel as if there was a cog ticking and that some seed had been planted and some idea and some version of the world is now in a parallel universe. That boy is a different boy as a result of the of us taking him over there. But that again comes back to the, the, the times that we were able to do that. I haven't done that in the last seven years. I haven't been able to do that in the last four or five years. And equally, the funding's not there. But if I was given in, if I was given time, unlimited resources, would I take children to the likes of Auschwitz? Absolutely. I'd love to take children. And one of the things I always advocate, any sixth six form child um, or any school, any any sixth form college, I think they get funding for a sixth form or to go to Auschwitz, Birkenhau, Monowitz. And I've always encouraged any of my people when they go to college to, to apply for that. Because that again is extremely um, important for for shaping their this sort of understanding, and they have to go there and come back and then disseminate what they have learned for others. They don't just go there; they've got to come back and they've got to do talks about it and they've got to express what they've found out to the rest of their college, which in itself is is, is quite. How do you communicate what the the, 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 the visceral sort of uh, the visceral feeling you get when you see the gas chambers or 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 the, the cold chill in the air when you when you see the cells of those that were tortured. What, what how, you know, that peer-to-peer is extremely powerful. And I've seen one of my ex-pupils deliver a talk on that. And coming from a young person to other young people is, is phenomenal. So power of school trips is is, un, is un, unbelievable. I mean, but yet it is something that is no longer really a priority. It's no longer something that is is high on the agenda it's an add-on it's a kind of well if we get round to it and even and this is this is on gove i'm not going to make a statement about michael gove but i do want to make a very very clear <laughs> i don't want to make a statement i think it's absolutely disgraceful that the fieldwork element of subjects like geography has been completely delimited and the coursework element and the fieldwork element of geography has been I think downgraded, and and certainly now, if I was reflecting on who the learner I was at fifteen, sixteen, and I wouldn't be getting the same experience that I got as as a a young geographer at fifteen, sixteen, where I was doing my measurements, and and actually out in the wilds with a you know within safety. Don't get me wrong, I was a bit reckless for my age back then. Um, I probably was a walking risk assessment myself these days. Now I would probably not want to take a kid like me on a residential because I was a little bit of a live wire. Um, but I was just curious about the world and and that I had the confidence to, to be curious about the world. And I'm so, so glad I got the opportunities, even in a secondary school, when I failed the Olympus, even from a poor background, there was more enough assistance there. The school subsidized those trips. Um, my world challenge at 18, which probably changed my life. I went to Ecuador, South America, 
as a kid growing up in the Troubles in 1996, the Northern Ireland was an absolute, the summer was, was, was mental. Drum Cree was going, the marches were happening, um, post vans were burned, the place was going up in flames. It was absolute bedlam. But I, I wasn't there. I was in the, in the wilds of, of, of Ecuador. Um, and it shaped, in many ways, it shaped one of the reasons why I went to education because what I saw on that school trip, because it was technically still a school trip, was abject poverty in the third world as it was then. And it made me change my degree. So a school trip has changed the course of my life. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. A school trip made me think very carefully about the course of actions I was going to take in this world. It took a kid from the back end of Northern Ireland to South America. And, I, and what I saw there and what I experienced and what I witnessed there put me on a, a completely different course, which is why I was volunteering to do again the same thing. And, and seven years ago, six years ago, when we, I went to the first World Challenge in Nepal, um, I, I said exactly that to the parents of the children who were going you know, this could define you, this could be a life-changing moment, This you will, see, you will go and see the world. Um, fantastic when I've had applications come in from um, people as I took on those trips from Camp America. I've had kids who have then gone and travelled again and they've used me as a reference to say, you know, about their leadership skills they had when they were leading that expedition, when we, when they were, you know, budgeting for it. So any of those trips are fantastic, but they are expensive. And my students had to fundraise for practically two years. And not, again, nothing more satisfying when you see kids from um, a very impoverished working class background, a deindustrialized area of the Midlands, saving for two years solid, doing three and four part time jobs to actually fund themselves on a school trip. But that school trip only ran because of two members of staff who were brave enough, silly enough and, and probably foolhardy enough to actually do that. And again, the comment in, in the staff room was, are you taking that child? Are you taking that child? But it, it's going to happen during your summer holidays. I give up a week of my summer holidays to do it. And when you're looking for volunteers, the volunteer pool started to get very smaller and smaller. It's funny, if people, when people thought that was going to be, you know, sitting on the beach for a couple of days, that was, yeah, I'll do that. But when you're actually confronted with leeches and confronted with, you know, camping out in the wilds of, 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 of South, South, uh, South Asia, that was very, very, very different. So hats off to any, any member of staff listening. Hats off to anybody who runs a school trip. Hats off to anybody who takes the, the effort to do it because it is a thankless, horrible job. But also, I think anybody that does do it does it because they know the power of the school trips. And they know that they are life-defining and life-changing. And hopefully for the right reasons. Unfortunately, there has been situations where in the Notting Maria, I think it was about eight years ago, um, colleagues, um, they arrived at the ski trip. They arrived late at night. They went for a walk around the um, the, the ski resort. It was quite dark. One of member staff slipped and fell and tragically lost his life. What was interesting after that was there was a whole kind of hullabaloo of, oh, you know, teacher having a drink on, on, on a school trip. They hadn't. They hadn't at all. But that's what was ran with the media. Um, and it is that that situation. I saw um, um, Vix Lothian, uh, who is the Green Party uh, spokesperson for education. She, when during the strike, one of the strikes, she, first time she'd taken a school trip, she's um, a classics teacher and a history and geography teacher. And she had an, a trip for her first trip again after COVID to, I think, Greece and the Parthenon. And she was pictured um, as part of the course that the children were doing. She was there, pictured. And they, the Daily Mail ran with that. 
and criticized her. How I want to teach her on a holiday while the rest are on strike. I was like, no, she's not on holiday. She's on a residential. She's taking children away on a school trip as part of their course. And straight away it was like, oh, yeah, teach her on a jolly. Oh, yeah, you know, let's, let's have fun. And I don't think that the media nor a lot of people out there realize how difficult it is to organize a school trip now. I don't think people realize how difficult it is. So that's what uh, I want to run with. Um, I'm, I'll be looking for any any feedback or any sort of comments anybody wants to make, whether they agree with me that it is less important now that people are on school trips. Um, and that being, I think it's actually more important. I think with everything going on in the world, I think it is more important, but of course, the environmentalist in me is also thinking, oh, well, should I be encouraging <laughs> overseas school trips? And don't worry, I have planted 800 trees in the last couple of years. Yes, my school grounds are going to be a little bit of a mini forest. So one of the things I made sure was ethical travel as well. So I have, um, when I've taken the children away in the last couple of years, uh, I've always ensured that the offsetting happens because, again, I don't want to be criticised. Um, you know, I am a I'm a person of an environmental background, therefore, I've had people say that to me. I've had actually people attack me online and go, oh, you're an environmentalist, you're encouraging travel. I'm also a teacher, and I'm also trying to imbue these children who come from very impoverished backgrounds sometimes with a sense of the world. I can't really do that remotely. I can't really do that. You know, here you go, here's a virtual tour of Nepal, complete with leeches. doesn't work the same, and... And I've, I've had criticism. I've had people troll me on that. I've had people criticize me on that, uh, call me hypocritical because, as, you know, some of them in an environmental background. Oh, gosh, how, how dare you? You travel. Uh, you're causing climate change. I'm taking children away. And the company I've gone with have. I've checked out their offsetting. I've checked out their ethical policies. And I am going, hopefully, fingers crossed. Again, we're restarting our, um, our next expedition to Borneo. Um, next summer, which will again run one week into the uh, the summer holidays, so we might get a a, um, a teachers talk radio from the jungle <laughs> next next year, which would be great. So I've got Adam here, and Adam's currently yeah, in Portugal. Yeah, hello from Portugal. I feel like the Euro- I couldn't make this up. <laughs> I feel like the it's the Eurovision time, isn't it? Uh, hello, it's Adam from Portugal. Hi. I give rent. Why am you need? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've, I've been I've been listening along. I think uh, yeah, you've got you've got it pretty spot on. I mean, we're we're out here with um, thirteen year twelves, year thirteens, and they have just yesterday uh, completed uh, three weeks worth of work experiences in Portuguese companies. Um, so we've had nine students at engineering firms and for and business and the rest in kind of. Uh, business administration and accounting companies out here in um, just north of Porto in Portugal. Um, as I said to the pupils last night, what an unbelievable experience that is to not only get that chunk of work experience done at your age, but also to do it in a different con- country uh, with different colleagues and different cultures and uh, yeah, they, they've absolutely ex- excelled while they're out here. So um, I'm sure the students aren't listening because I think they've I think they've gone to bed after me waking them up every morning at eight o'clock in the morning. Uh, but they My last week were uh, I think I heard, I heard them in the background. They're singing this army song, which was from Hacksaw Ridge. They kept singing this song all day long, and and I tried to find it. So it's just one kid. You know, when kids do that, they sort of sing something. 
But yeah. like, I thought that they were doing it on purpose. They were tidying their room like a chain gang. And one of the other <laughs> teachers had said, look, get your room sorted out because it smelled the feet. You know, boys' rooms are like. It was a whole boys' room. And it just, you, you walk in and, and you got assaulted with, you know, steel, Nike and Adidas, basically. You know, and, and we're in activity week, so dampness as well. And the thing is, yeah. she went in and basically read the riot act and told them, right, that's it, get this tiny doll, the rest of it. Mm-hmm. So they were next door to where I was broadcasting, and you could actually hear them in the background like a chicken yeah. guy. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we thought about this question, obviously, because I'm out here, but also um, off the back of my eldest daughter's um, parents' evening, just before she broke up, uh, where her history teacher made this comment to me, uh, where she said, you know, we haven't been able to do any trips kind of post-COVID. And, you know, I started to calculate the time between kind of COVID and now. And if I think about all the trips that I've done, I was thinking, is that COVID or is it COVID being used as a, you know, a way to kind of get out of doing trips? Because maybe she doesn't want to do trips. Maybe uh, she doesn't value trips. Maybe she's not motivated uh, to do trips. So it really starts to get me thinking about kind of, you know, why, why, why do I do trips? And then we taught you the night, Brett, that, yeah. you know, I, 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 I'll be perfectly honest with you. I would do this all the time if my, you know, wife and family would allow and, and the, the school would allow me to kind of, you know, uh, do this all the time. I mean, I, I just think it's, you know, I've, I've always been a big fan of vocational education. And this is, the, these students today have learned, you know, so much in three weeks than, that's taken us like a, maybe a year in curriculum time to do. Um, and, you know, some, some of the specifications now are getting quite old anyway. I think 2000. Mm. Um, so to actually get out especially in something like business and engineering when technology is moving so quick you know to get out there in the real world and experience this uh, you know I, I always think is kind of a fantastic thing to do um, so I did post up on Twitter earlier on in the week you know are there less school trips and enrichments um, in post-COVID and we had 37 people replied to that with an 89% saying yes so there obviously is something going on, um, you know, whether it's because after after a kind of year, you know, not doing trips, people have maybe just, they could have lost confidence, they could have uh, just... Uh, I would agree not- with you on that. I, I, I think that is actually, I, I'll confess, there is the history trip, which I should run as the head of history. Mm-hmm. And I've actually had the students say to me, you know, um, sir, you know, should, you know, you my, my brother went on the battlefields trip with you and, and Mr. McNally, why haven't you done it? Mm. And I honestly, I just felt like saying, I just, eh, I don't have the time. I'm scared. Yeah. I'm genuinely scared to take responsibility for that trip because it's a yeah, lot of responsibility. I know I'm yeah. genuinely, genuinely. And where's the I think, I, think, I think if you can be honest, Brent, to just go through, because I feel the same sometimes. I feel that kind of burden of, of pressure does weigh heavy. Uh, but I still think I, it, my, in my head, I'm, I'm able to still kind of swing the difference. But what are your concerns about a trip? Parents. Parents. Okay. Un, un, completely, completely demanding um, parents who want everything their way. Um, people who want the provision of their child met. Yeah. Uh, you know, who are unreasonable. Mm-hmm. Sorry, but some of them are unreasonable. Um, the complaints. The, I suppose the sheer volume of bureaucracy and paperwork. Yeah. Which, I'm going to be honest, you've known me long enough to know that I'm not really a paperwork type of guy. 
But it's not just, my thing. Well, I didn't I, go I, in I, the I, t- I, 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 I don't want to. I don't want to hit the uh, the word Brexit with you, Brent. Um, maybe that's. A I've already pop- mentioned it. I've already, okay. I've already mentioned it. No, that's. Not, I'm, I'm, I'm not really a Brexit fan either. Right, right. Um, can, I, can I tell you that um, the 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 Erasmus scheme that obviously uh, got cancelled, and we're now on the Turing scheme here. My goodness, the paperwork is astronomical. Uh, we have been chased. There are. There are at least 10 reports that need to be filled in by the students and the employer. And then there's all sorts of other things going on in terms of questionnaires and feedback forms on top of that. Um, And that is quite, I mean, I think some of the employers are going, what, another one? And another one. And it's it's kind of, it's unbelievable. The, I sent you a picture the night, didn't I, of of the, the weight of it. Um, that we kind of that I've had to not only take out to Portugal with me, but I've obviously now got to make sure it's filed and ordered and you know sent off. So I'm scanning that in reception at the minute, uh, trying to get that off to the um, you know to the right people. So we get our funding, but it's absolutely incredible the actually paperwork, the administration of these these things. Um, I don't know where that's come from. Well, it's just bureaucracy meeting expanding to meet the needs of the ever expanding bureaucracy. But it was people's, I must say, expectations. People used to trust you. Yeah. And it's, a, it's always, a, it's always a, a mutually trust. And I, and I think it goes back to the trust between the profession and parents is not what it used to be. But even the trust between the parents, you know, the kids, education, everything else. I think there's a lot going on with toilets and vaping and everything else and, and behaviour. That worries me. Because... I, I, I go on these trips. It's a chicken and the egg. Here, here, here's the horrible side of it. I go on the, I, I still go on trips, although I don't organize them, um, because you build a better relationship with kids yeah. and, and, and you build memories. It seems I'm going, I'm going away with my own children. Of course, because it's, it's the same principle, you know. And, and that's why, you know, when I get parents who are taking a child out the last week of term to, to go on a holiday, I always feel a bit sorry for some parents who do genuinely take their children on, on, on a life-changing holiday. And you go, fair play to them. Yeah. And if their attendance is 95%, 97%, then, yeah. It's when their attendance is 75% and they're taking them out for a second holiday, you're going, hi, guys, come on. And they're the first, to, you know, to have sort of their demands met and that's the problem is you just don't seem to be able to satisfy people these days people just want everything yeah you you know my child doesn't get you know i had a situation where a child wasn't happy with the group that they had recently in in our activity week and i'm like i felt like saying suck it up get on with it you are here to learn to get along with everybody else am i pandering to your needs hell no i'm not i'm not (laughs) here to give you what you want I don't care how much money you pay for. Brent, You're here to learn, and that's the problem. Brent, oh, I love your rants. I absolutely sorry, mate. I just love your you, rants. You stopped me full mid flow. I was about to get to the point as well. Sorry, Tom. I'm not sat next to him. I need to. I normally squeeze his leg at this point to try and. Mate, that's a privilege that many <laughs> of us will never have. <laughs> oh, what, 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 what? You... I oh, think he needs to stop me. Get some sponsors. Oh. oh, he wants a sponsor. Oh, yeah. Oh, who oh is that's brilliant, Adam. I love having you on. That's good. Bring him into life. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> we are currently sponsored by Calm Down. Calm Down. 
Oh, okay. we're supposed to okay. modern foreign languages at Excel, Pearson, who have come up with a fantastic, well, it's perfect for this show, actually, have come up with a fantastic GCSE, which is more in line with modern day. And I will actually get to use that when I go to France, when I trial it with my young little children who are seven and five. Actually, eight, eight and five. No, seven. She's coming eight <laughs> next, next month. They can't even get the age of my own child. What? Seven. No one's listening to you, are they? <laughs> they don't. Do, do you know what? I spent the day with my two children. I'd happily go back to school in the morning. It's like exhausting. I don't know how primary school teachers do it. Younger children are absolutely exhausted and they're never happy to as well. That's yeah. why you don't want to do school trips. Anyway, Pearson's <laughs> French, <laughs> modern foreign language in French. And they, what they've done is they've updated it in line with uh, modern, modern take and make it more accessible to our students. And that's ready to launch in 2024, which is just next year. And of course, I fully think that modern foreign languages, because it's not just, of course, French, it's a modern foreign language. And you need to translate French into the mother language, which increases their ability and their confidence in not only uh, speaking a foreign language, but in also communicating their own language, which is something is very, very important. And learning a language is always opening doors to travel which is something I hope many of our children do, but sustainably. And obviously, if they do Pearson's Excel, they'll be able to do that a lot more confidently. There we go. Is that, is that okay, Tom? Is that, did I work that in nicely? Loving that. Trebian. Trebian. Oh, that sounds like, like uh, you were calling, uh, what do you call them? Um, uh, only Fools and Horses, you know? Bless him. He yeah. definitely wasn't Pearson's at Excel, was he? Uh, but Del Boy's French. <laughs> anyway, where was I before Tom just threw a spanner in the works? Children these days. Oh, God, I'm getting old. I am getting old. I am getting old. But why do I not want to do trips? Yeah. I just generally, I don't want the hassle. I, it's, it's just another thing on top of another thing, on top of another thing. And I'm caught between, I know how amazing they are, and I'm happy to be a subservient on a trip, which I have been recently. Um, and I looked to my senior colleagues, I had a senior colleague and a head of year. And and of course, you know, they had the responsibilities, you know, when it came down to it, and, and heavy wears the crown, because there were decisions that had to be made and calls that had to be made. And they had to make the calls to parents. And I was so happy and glad that I wasn't the leader on the trip because I was sitting there thinking, well, you know, every every decision they had to make in real time on that trip had to be well thought through. But it was a team effort. And, and I went there with a couple of colleagues who I trust and have known for one for 19 years, one for 16 years and another who's, who's a fantastic new colleague after even a couple of years. Um, but we were a good team and that comes down to it as well. You, you know, who you go on a residential with, this is important because I've got to know lifelong friends through going on residentials, not just the children, but I find it fantastic to actually get to know my colleagues because you, you've really, you know, when, once you've shared a room with one of your colleagues, because that happens in residentials when you have to share rooms and you realise how much of a warthog somebody snores like, um, then you sort of really get to know, you really get to know people. Uh, I, think and that's, should, I think you should name <laughs> Well, you know, but that's, that's, but that's the thing. Some of the best memories I've had that have sustained me in dark, cold nights. It's like, you know, the dark, cold nights at Stoke, you know, on, on a Wednesday night, you know, as I say, you know, that's when, you know, you're a Premier League footballer. It's the same, how, how do you know you're a teacher? When, on those dark, cold nights, what sustains you in the profession? I think um, Tom put that up and says, what's one of the, the secrets to longevity and sustainability with anybody who stays in education? Fun. 
It's just fun. You have to have some fun. You have to have something to look forward to. You have to have something to break the monotony. And, you know, residentials and school trips can be just as fun for you as they can for the kids. But are they as much fun as they used to be? Are they, you know, now just so sanitized and so safe and so so sort of uh, double-checked and triple-checked and bureaucratic that the funds... And I, I, I'm I, going to sound like an Irving Welsh novel here, The Beach, you know, I mean, are we reaching that point where even travelling around the world now is so much fun? You know, not as much fun. Maybe I'm, I'm showing my age here because in the time that I travel around the world, there's no credit cards, there's no mobile phones. It was just basically send a smoke signal up for my parents 12,500 miles away and say, your son's in Australia and he's gone. Now it's it's kind of like you go to a backpacking hostel and everybody's got a laptop and, and they're talking to the friends at home. They don't talk to each other any longer. But it seems our kids, they don't talk to each other any longer. They communicate with electronic devices. So is it something in the future that residential trips will be some of those things that we look back on like a carry-on? You know, I mean, it was one of those things we used to do at school. Wow, you went on residential trips. Yeah, we just do a virtual one. Now. Are they something that is going to die? That's the big question. Are they going to make a comeback after COVID? Or are they, like everything else, just going to just dissipate into and say that's something we used to do in school? Yeah, because I I do think it depends on the culture of the centre. The school that I'm at the minute is is very into this. And if I just think about the last um, two months, we have had um, teachers and uh, staff in um, um, Congo, We've had um, staff out in South Africa with students. Uh, we've got wow. uh, we've got these students out with me in Portugal at the moment, um, and there is a group of students who have just arrived in Zambia doing a construction project. Um, so I think I think there is a way to do it, but it's, it it does need um, a big kind of cultural shift. Uh, we mm. we we essentially. Um, have a department to basically organize the trips um so in terms of um us i'm the trip leader out here at the minute in terms of what i need to obviously i need to be present and i'm fully briefed and everything um but there there is there's a team that kind of has already done the recce uh done a lot of the kind of risk assessment and everything else prior to my visit um, and then what's then what we're done is we're kind of then briefed in house and then trained on anything that we need to do before we go out. Um, and I know I know for a lot of schools that's just not doable. Um, but but there the, there are lots of schools that do do it. Um, and you know, um, but it's just a matter of kind of having that kind of culture really um, around that we are going to make this a priority. And I'm, I'm really fortunate the centre I'm at the minute is, is making it their priority, um, you know, to, to do this. And No, I think you're very, very blessed and lucky because yeah. everything now, what we have is on the staff member, you know, to do all the, the, the checks. Yeah. And there are systems in place, but the bureaucracy is, the support bureaucracy is just frustrating. And the thing is, so do you get something wrong? It, you just you just get people assuming that you know what you're doing. Oh, yeah. have you been trained on the system? What yeah. system are you talking about? Oh, you've had a half an hour training on some system. But, but you basically right. so unworthy. Again, I think that's just cultural in terms of, you know, that is just a blame culture in the centre. Um, and that is just people kind of management, not really. And, it, you know, it's one of the things kind of um, just to slightly dovetail. I know we sort of talk about it a bit later on about this uh, workload report that's come out. Yeah. Um, 
you know, the set the, the the centres that are doing really well on workload is when SLT and leadership are taking a much more active role in other areas of the school life, like curriculum planning, like trips, um, you know, and, and really being supportive. Um, so there is evidence that it is happening in the in the in the centres. Um, it's, it's just um, I think maybe as teachers we need need to maybe better call out. Um, management when it's not working um, and, 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 a, and a way of almost feeding that back because it can be done and it is it is there in place you know um, you know we have all, the, all a lot of those policies that are in place on those and that workload plan you know we, we have we have the we have the no email policy uh, after a certain time we, we have all these in place mm-hmm. um, so but who started that culture because I mean, that's the thing I mean who, who's who's kicked? Has that come from the ethos of the school, the education establishment, their aims, objectives? Well, 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 ultimately, it comes down to like any like anything. It comes from the top, doesn't it? If 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 there's somebody at the top that really does want to do it, then it happens, doesn't it? Yeah, I suppose yeah, I mean, not, because ultimately, it's their sign off, isn't it? Because they have to say yes to any trip, don't they? Because that's you go to your head teacher ultimately, or now it's the executive head teacher who then sometimes goes to the trust and and that's where I've had issues sometimes where you know we've had to to not talk to the head teacher we've had to talk to some nameless bureaucrat mm. in an office somewhere god knows where in Derbyshire and 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 there, we explained to them what we're trying to do and, and and that's when we 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 did the um the world challenge and the beautiful thing with it is is that they that organization takes all that sort of responsibility we we we're only there really as staff members to as as make up the numbers we're not in charge the the company's in charge so we kind of outsourced the residential to to a company, which exactly what happened when I went in 1996. Uh, and that's why I'm happy to do that because it's their responsibility. They, exactly what you're saying there is that that's a, that's a residential you can go with because that's a residential where you're partaking, but that's not a residential where you are the, the person you know, who's completely responsible, you're liable, you've done all the checks and, 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 and therefore your head, your head is, is, is on that. We've done it as a team. There's like uh, there's like six staff involved. Um, there's a, another person who kind of uh, oversees all of this with a, with a company called I can't remember the court now, but there's there's a company then that I, that kind of contributes to that. Uh, out here, then it becomes more of a team effort with with the company out here. Um, it's all about it's all about kind of a, a support network. I think that's how it works when it works well. Is that then nobody nobody is sat here thinking, oh my goodness, I'm just here on my own. And if anything happens, what what am I gonna what am I gonna do? You know, we we've got, you know, I'm you know involved here with a kind of uh, on what so you talk about you know, we might talk about technology and mobile phones later. Uh, but we've we've set up a kind of a Portugal um, you know WhatsApp group. Um, yeah. With, with, with staff at base where somebody's always active you know at school on that chat um we've got a active group with the company uh including the reception here so i can quickly kind of contact them if i need to about anything um you know so there's this it's about a bit more of a collaborative uh support with this um and so so you know all i all i've all i've done here really is is, is, is be like it like it like i would be at school like a teacher really mm-hmm. I'm not what was the numbers of people volunteering? Because obviously you're giving up a portion of your free time. So what what, what was the meanest response? What, what, what was the meanest response 
to that of like, yo, well, you're a teacher. Oh gosh, you're losing some of your six weeks holidays. I, 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 I think I think she, but you know, we 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 also share the, uh, you know, I guess it's an ideology, isn't it, around vocational education and what's important. And you know, I, I want also to be um, going to show, you know, and posting stuff back to my children about you know people in the workplace in a foreign country uh, whilst they're at school because I want that them to be demanding that from their teachers as well. So you're going there to learn as well? Of course, yeah, we're all, we're all learning. Tonight, mm. last, last two nights, we've done a kind of, um, like a Portuguese lessons straight after work, you know, which, we, which we, we, you know, I've, I've thrown my hat at there and said, you know, I'm probably going to be worse than anybody here, but I've gone, I've gone to, to kind of show, you know, willing that I'm learning as well, that I'm a lifelong learner. So you uh, went to Porto. You, t- you went to a football match, didn't you? I've not been to a football match while I'm here, no. <laughs> I, I, I've, I've been to, um, I don't know, there's something about it. For, for me, on these trips, um, you know, the, you know, anywhere in Europe, uh, you know, churches are just phenomenal, aren't they, in, in, Spain, in Spain and Portugal. Um, Did you go into church? Yeah, but I've been into plenty of churches, yeah. Wow. Just, just go with him. Oh, here, here comes a crisis on a school trip. We're live. <laughs> that, that could be, that could be, that could be an art invitation of life. Yeah. You back? Yeah, sorry. Those, uh, the, the students are just paying for a trip tomorrow. I'm just trying to sort that out while I'm, while I'm, while I'm getting, getting on the multitasking. <laughs> I've got a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm uploading pictures to this kind of school site from today's presentation. I'm talking to you, and I'm, I'm counting. I'm counting euros for a trip tomorrow. What's the trip to? Um, we we we're going to the just the local town, which is uh, Braga. Oh yeah, Braga's got the same football team. Uh, yeah, I know where you are. I've got the same football team. Yeah. But, um, yeah. We, we, they just want to kind of day out in the city, so we're just sorting that out. And how, um, you, what are you, that's 17, 18 then, isn't it? Uh, yes, yeah, I think most, uh, I think, oh, there's a couple of year 13s, there might even be, there might even be 90 actually. So have you had the conversation about substances and stuff like that? How's that going down with the behaviour and the discipline? Do they have a code of conduct? Because, you know, well, well, you, you're they, taking that age away is tricky yeah, in itself. I mean, they're easier because yes. they're managing themselves. But... Yeah. So, again, um, you know, um, I won't mention the name of the company here, but they've also been very good and very strict here. So there's not just us here. There's schools from all six. There's maybe um, there's colleges and undergraduate students also staying on site um, from Italy, uh, Austria, um um, Switzerland and Germany here at the minute, um, and there is a very strict code in terms of you know being on site at a certain time. And again, they've they've met the parents with us over teams before, so we've had a kind of yeah. chat with the company as well as us, as well as the parents and as well as the students. Um, they signed a code of conduct uh, before they came, and again, that didn't come from the school. So maybe this is a bit more important thing. The code of conduct didn't come from the school. It came from the company out here. Kind of, it kind of looked like they, you know, they're signing something with the place that they're staying at as well. Um, so 
I, I think it's kind of just a, it's just a bit different. So there are consequences to them breaking the rules then, is what we're saying. There are going into it, you know, with expectations and consequences. Yes, they, they, would, they would essentially, they, 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 they've had to pay a deposit to the accommodation and they lose that money if they, uh, if they break the rules here. Oh, I like the sound of all that. That, that sounds very well organised. How expensive? You don't, you don't have to say it, but is it expensive for what it I is? I don't think... Well, it, 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 well, it's through the Turing scheme. So, so I, I, oh, completely. I, completely I, through the Turing scheme. Completely through the Turing scheme, yeah. So I don't, I don't think that there's any any cost at all. Um, that's why it's so keen to get all the paperwork. That's, that's, that's the only wow. Thing. That's the only I think, I think the advice to give to anybody then is get onto the Turing scheme then, basically, is what you're saying. Yes, yeah, I, I, th- I think it's been brilliant. But really that used have... to be the Erasmus. That that cheering that scheme is the equivalent of what was the Erasmus program, if I'm correct. Yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah. So there is a subtle sort of uh, benefit to what's happened. That's Because that is one of the things that they said they would ensure post-Brexit, that they would ensure that there was some exchange schemes. So fair play, that is one of the things that has been saved, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, it hasn't been saved. They've just had to kind of re-establish it. Be interested to know. I'm, I'm interested to know the numbers of what was on the cheering scheme to compare to what Erasmus was. And then I suppose you, you, you're... you're it's not really a fair comparison because you're dealing with two different times as well because it's, it's hard to get a read on comparing different times and saying, well, is Brexit? Is it COVID? Is it technology? Because here's the other thing as well is in the digital world we live in, there's less need to same as travel. People are working from home now. Maybe residentials are losing their, their, their kind of pull because you can now, you know, and the other thing is, is parent, you look at parents taking their children away children now go on a lot more exotic holidays than what I used to get. So a, a residential for me was something a bit more amazing comparison to, you know, going camping down in Wicklow, which was ours. Oh, here we go again with the camping tent down in Wicklow. What, what I'm saying is that children now have a, a, more, a greater variety of choice. School trips aren't, I suppose, as glamorous maybe as what they used to be. Because school trips used to be something that was... Maybe a once in a lifetime. I'm I'm just hypothesizing as as to another reason why potentially school trips aren't being run as much because everybody's suggesting you said eighty nine percent of people and anecdotally I I can feel it that there is a lot less people going on school trips for I think all of those reasons that the risk the recruitment retention crisis Brexit the cost cost of living crisis the fact that children now go on more exotic holidays why they need to go on a school trip. Curriculum changes, less less coursework demanded, so all of those do start to add up into less trips. But yet, the irony is that what you're saying and what your your evidence is well, he's, he's just popped off. Um, <laughs> bye bye, Adam. Um, is that school trips are something that is intrinsically good for children, and yet we seem to be doing less of them. Um, I'll go to our sponsors now. If Adam's going to come back, maybe he's he's got he's got something to do with. It. I know Paul's going to pop on later on as well. He's just dealing with something. Um, I've got uh, let's see who else I've got. I've got Noreen um, in here. I've got uh, they are loyal. 
I've got, uh, let's see, that's, yes, and Paul, my good friend from uh, Merseyside, Paul Falls, and he's in here as well. And we have a hand up from Tom. That's me saying I'm here. Oh, I can't forget about you, Tom. God knows if you can't be forgotten about you. You've been winding people up enough recently. I mean, goodness gracious. I think you're starting to try to start a Twitter storm. You, 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 your inflammatory tweets. Love it. You're, you're, you're just like me. You're, you're such a Socratic individual. Honestly, Tom, why don't you just go away for six weeks? <laughs> I feel like defending you now. I can't believe people are criticizing a guy who runs Teachers Talk Radio for, for running Teachers Talk Radio through the six weeks holidays. Because one of the things we often say as teachers is we actually don't always take six weeks off, do we? So we don't take six weeks off and not even Teachers Talk Radio is going to take six weeks off. So and I'm be popping in and out over the next couple of weeks. But we'll go to our sponsor and the sponsor is Pearson's Modern Foreign Languages uh, 2024 um, specification, which has taken into account uh, updated language, uh, new language models and is more accessible to the students because it's using bang up the date information uh, a lot less than what I was when French was at school when we had the guys with the beret caps with a cigarette hanging out called Gaston who are taking us to the horse meat butcher's shop. I don't know why my children going to France tomorrow aren't going to need to know turning out goes to the horse meat butcher's shop. So Pearson's Excel is a lot more a contemporary, bang up to date, and that's their new... Um, their new uh, Edexcel specification ready to go in 2024, which is next year. Also, if you are interested, you could become one of our uh, Teachers Talk Radio disc jockeys. Not that we play any music. You could ask me to sing. I have sang before in Teachers Talk Radio. Uh, I did break into song last week on my residential. The kids recorded it and they're uploading it. So you'll probably find that somewhere on TikTok by next week. It'll probably go viral. Crazy Irishman doing singing. I think it was Stand By Me with... Um, Yes, yeah, stand by me at the top of my voice in an old house in the middle of Wheels. So that's uh, Teacher Talk Radio. You want to come and join us. We are a hive mind. You will be assimilated and you will become part of the Borg, where your uniqueness will be added to the hive mind that is Teacher Talk Radio. So the second thing we were going to have a, a chat about was the workload and, and this idea of whether we take the workload um, as... Altogether, i.e. we take free time on PPAs uh, as one a week, uh, sorry, one a day, or whether we gather them all up and then we have a day off uh, in hybrid working. So this conversation about whether we have um, how we get our free time and how we as educators, how we can work more flexibly in line with modern working practices. And again, this is in the backdrop of the recruitment and retention crisis, because in the world that we live in today, when people have dual income households and, and the career that is teaching is difficult as it is, we're seeing a lot more individuals who are, well, let's just be honest, leaving the teaching profession because they don't feel it can fit around the lifestyle. And that lifestyle is, is that, you know, different working patterns, um, raising families and different, you know, and childcare, the cost of childcare is absolutely extortionate when, and, and the government need to sort that out. So it's just not working when you see other professions which allow career breaks. I know Australia, after five years service, they give you three months off. Um, the burnout rate in the UK education system, especially more so England, um, is, is is very high. We know that 40% um, of people, you, you know, for, sorry, 40,000 people leaving last year. Um, we can see people leaving within five years. And, and again, one of the reasons they cite that is, is the bureaucracy, the workload, and just the archaic nature of how we are expected to work in teaching, which 
ironically fits back into the the previous topic, which was the residentials, because you're <laughs> you're having to work um, the way ours that we have to work sometimes in the way that we have to work, and then you you're then volunteering to go off on your half term. And I know that some of my colleagues do a um, they do a ski trip to Canada, but they do it during the half term. So the February half term, they're out skiing with the kids, and I've often wondered how knackered they must be come April time because they've gone through January, February, February half term, they've done a residential, then they go through April and if Easter is late, I said that to one of my colleagues last year, they were absolutely on their knees because they'd gone pretty much January till till April when Easter was and they hadn't had a break and and they're five, you know, five days, five days a week. I know some of my colleagues who are now doing part-time, I've, I've seen a couple who are basically saying they do their life admin on their one day off so that they have their weekend. That is something, a conversation I've, I've had with my wife recently. For longevity of my career, doing 20 years in teaching, um, I think now that I've reached that stage in my career and my life, um, that I want my weekend back because one day of the weekend is designated preparation, marking, planning, schoolwork. And that means on a Sunday, um, the hefty chunk of my Sunday is pretty much spent doing teacher work. And I feel guilty as a parent. I feel guilty as a husband. I feel guilty, uh, you know, as a father that my children don't see as much of their father because he is working because that's the, the nature of the job. And, and my wife doesn't resent it in a way because she knew she married a teacher when she met me. And and that's part and parcel of what we are, the sacrifice we make as teachers. But for others, that's just too much. Uh, and therefore, this suggestion that if you were able to store up your free periods um, and your PPAs and then have a day where you're not in school, for some individuals, that actually might help save their longevity in their career because that may, may deem, now, I don't know if that would work for me because theoretically speaking, I'm a bit of one of those people that whittles time um in school i'm terribly unproductive sometimes uh, I, I will admit to sometimes having conversations with people when i should be doing some marking and you, you get the you get the couple of types of teachers don't you, you get the ones who um, are so disciplined that they eat their lunch at their at their desk they leave at 3 15 because they've done all their marking all their work and everything in school and i don't know how they do this um but they do it because they don't go to the staff room they do it because they're, they're extremely disciplined individuals hats off to them they come in very early early in the morning, get everything planning done. We know, we know the type and literally, you know, they are efficient um, and literally bang, 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 bang and out the door they go and, and they seem to, to seem to know what they're doing. Um, I will admit to being slightly inefficient in school, slightly sort of distractory. I mean, if I'm in the staff workroom and at the photocopying machine, there'll be random conversations with people. But that's, I've always enjoyed that as part of my workplace because that's a happy workplace. You talk to your colleagues, you find out lots of stuff. You you know, that's the person I am. I've never been one to sit at a desk and do my marking. I, I do that after school. I tend to, when everybody else has gone home, I put my uh, headphones on, I put my SEDC in, and sometimes I take the headphones off and only the person that can hear me is the cleaner when she can hear me singing back in black down the corridor. Because if there are people around, <laughs> I'm terrible for it. If there are people around in school, I just get distracted. I'm just like one of those kids in class that can't shut up. You know the type, that's me. And there are, I'm sure, some of you like that. Whereas this this idea of storing up all of those PPAs for one day, I don't know if I would use it that way. I don't know if that would work for me. 
Um, because I, be honest with you, I need sometimes a break. You know, if I had a five-period day, five-period day, five-period day, five-period day, five-period day, five-period day, five-period and then and then one day where no periods, that four days intense without sort of breaks, I, I, again, I don't know if that actually is advantageous because there are times when you are staring down the barrel of 30 kids in year seven, 30 kids in year eight, 30 kids in year nine, and then your GCSE class, and then not 30 kids come in. And imagine, you know, you have that four days solid, you know, 20 solid periods. That just, that, that, when you know, I'm sure anybody who works secondary would agree with me when you see your my primary colleagues and know what you're thinking, you're going to go, wow, but we do that all the time. You know, we, 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 we stay with our kids. Yes, you do. And I, I don't know how you do it. I honestly don't know how you, how you do it. I, you have my utter respect. Um, Secondary is more intense in, in some ways, more um, kids come in and you have to go, do, do, do. you don't get to relax as much because everything's a bit more uh, stressed out. You know, kids come in, you've got to set them up and you got to, bang, 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 you got to get the tasks done as quick as possible. I think so, the way secondary is, is so, un- so inefficient compared to primary. You know, so, so inefficient. Just when you get some progress done with a child, the bell goes. It's one of the problems of education, you know, and kids have to take themselves out five day, you know, five different lessons and, and five different subjects. And the same with you. You've got like, I, I can go from um, last year, I was doing physics and English and, and history. So I got to go from, you know, doing a lesson on Shakespeare to then doing a lesson on on, on, on specific heat capacity, then doing a lesson on the other side of the school on the Holocaust, all within a matter of three hours. And trying to put your head around that is the same as, I suppose, the children themselves. They come into a classroom, there's a very different teacher and there's a very different setup and there's a very different, you know, set of subjects. So the primary, I get that, you know, in some ways you have that time sometimes with the same children that you can get caught up with stuff. And maybe there is a bit of, I'm not saying downtime, um, but you do have, I think, a very different way of working than secondary. Secondary is more bang, it's like, it's like you're running 100 metres, stop, running 100 metres, stop, 100 metres, stop, 100 metres, stop. And it's a bit like that, stop, go, stop, go, stop, go, stop, quite intense. And, and I know I come home after a five-period day and I'm absolutely wiped. <laughs> literally, physically and mentally um, exhausted. And I know that uh, Paul, Tom put a t- tweet out recently and he said um, about what would you do with the, the first couple of days, first couple of days after, you know, the, the summer holidays. And literally, my wife has been married to me that long, you know, two, 13, 12 years now. And, and and she knows that not to plan anything on the first weekend that I'm off school because my body just literally just go boom and I crash. And physically, physically and mentally, I'm, I'm thinking I'm only nearly there now where I'm relaxed. And she even remarked to me the other day and says, Oh gosh, you've been listening quite a lot. I'm not the best listener in the world. I'm a terrible husband sometimes, but well, she does. She's next door. She's not listening. Um, but I, she's just, oh, you're listening more. I'm like, that's because, ah, I've not been at school and my head isn't buzzing with what happens at school. I'm not exhausted. I have the time to, how was your day? How was your day? <laughs> and those who are married to teachers know what they mean about that because we come home and we're almost like, I feel like sometimes locking myself in a room for a half an hour and just basically decompressing. It's, it's an absolute assault. So, Workload, if they can come up with ways that work for different people, I think they should offer options. And for some individuals, that option of having all your PPAs at one may actually work. For others, it may not. But that in itself, even to start the conversation of 
let's think about how people work and what how best people work is not how teaching's always operated because much like the children it's interesting we're in child-centered education but we're not teacher-centered education are we because we're just uniformists it's funny that we're, we're expected to conform to expectations and and yet the children aren't but yet children are many versions of us you know, I can go on like the children sometimes. I am like the children sometimes. That's one of the reasons why I get on with the children because I'm pretty much like them. And we are because our brains are wired like them as well, a bit more mature. But, you know, we're still human beings. You know, we still get exhausted. The children get exhausted. When kids turn and say to me, oh, you know what? Uh, hold on a second here. I need to go to the toilet, sir. I'm like, I'm 19 years in teaching. I've never once left the class to go to the toilet. So we're, we need to be looked at as, as the same way that everybody else is looked at, as not as an infant resource that we need to be managed. Paul's popped in. So, hello, Paul. Hello. How are you, my friend? I'm not bad. I was phoning up for requests. If you could oh. sing Killing Me Softly by the Fugees. I just thought oh. it'd be a very good teacher type song. Oh, well, there is the original by uh, Roberta, Roberta Fleck, isn't it, as well? Oh, there you go. Even better. <laughs> why do I suddenly feel like the love actually because that's that's love actually isn't it when, when he has to get up and sing Killing Me Softly doesn't he <laughs> does he <laughs> I love that movie I can, I can never look at an, at another um, uh, nativity player without seeing an octopus oh that is a quality costume there you are that, I tell you what that's another space that you could do another time nativity. <laughs> <laughs> well I I, I, I played I played Joseph in my nativity play. I can still remember my uh, my nativity play. And uh, Tanya Mulligan was Mary. And, uh, you know, um, Joseph and Mary had a little kissing scene as well. God, I love the 80s. Weren't they, weren't they, weren't they amazing? Now, you can imagine the safeguarding on that one. But goodness gracious me. Back in the 80s, you know, like, it was like Bluey. So what was the, what was the your residentials or workload, Paul? Well, I've, I've got a residential um, story. It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. Oh, I like, I'm going to sit back and enjoy this. Go on. We, um, I'm... I'm like you more recently in terms of residentials. I'm not the one pushing to to do them just because of time and because of liability and all sorts. And I know how much they mean to the kids after they've done them. Um, We had our year sixes leavers assembly, um, obviously a couple of weeks ago, and um, they all spoke about their favourite moment. I was thinking almost every moment was from their residential to Allswater yeah. or something like that. Um, so they are valuable. I took um, I took my class with another teacher, so it's like a year one, two class it was, of about 18 kids. Uh, and it was somewhere in Cheshire, and we did... Um, it was kind of a, a Vikings slash... Or Romans type thing that we did. 
kids enjoyed themselves, you know. They were given little tools to dig around and make, um, oh, was it uh, what and dab something, what and dab or something like that on walls. Um, so they got messy and they absolutely loved it. So at the end of our, we were only there one night, two days. So mm. after we had, you know, got them all in and read them the story and got into their beds and everything else. And everyone had, um, there was bunk beds. Right? And parents knew this before, so we had lots of things saying, don't let my child sit, lie on the, the top bunk. You know, don't let them go on the top bunk. So we didn't let anyone go on the top bunks because there was enough space. Kids that settle down, teachers get together, nice cup of tea. We're all knackered as well, so we're thinking, oh, we'll just be a little bit and then we'll go to our beds as well. One of the kids runs in, hands covered in blood, saying, Jamie's fallen out of bed. No. Oh. Now, Jamie is the same height and width as a meter stick. And <laughs> he um, he was not on the top bunk, but somehow he managed to um, roll out of bed and smack his head on the bed frame of the bed next to him. Unbelievably. Couldn't, no idea how he did it. So um, one teacher goes in, brings him out. He's only got a small cranium anyway, but this was like a second head on his head. It just, the, oh, the, the size of this lump was unbelievable. And there was just blood everywhere. Oh. And the poor kid was in, in shock. So this is, uh, what would it be? Nine o'clock, half nine at night on... Uh, on what day was it? It was on a, a Tuesday evening, I think it was. Uh, and we know what the state of ambulances and stuff like that is. We did everything that we could to make him comfortable and ice and all sorts. Um, I think it was after an hour and a half, a volunteer paramedic turned up. Uh, to assess the situation, then to phone the ambulance and say whether we needed it or not. That's what sort of state we were in. <laughs> it was just absolutely horrendous. And the irony is you deemed the bottom bunker to be safe. I know, I know. Oh, <laughs> we, couldn't, we couldn't have made it up with him, honest to God. And um, so he said, oh, yeah, he needs to go to hospital. But obviously we came on the coach with the kids, you know, we've no car or anything else. And the volunteer paramedic can't give us a lift to the hospital. So they're not going to send an ambulance. The ambulance pay for a taxi for one of, for one of us to go um, with little Jamie to, uh, to Chester Hospital, while the other two staff would obviously stay with the rest of the kids. So... Um, who do you think was assigned taxi? <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So poor Jamie, who's absolutely exhausted, trying to keep him awake, because apparently he's meant to keep him awake. Um, and I get in this taxi, and me and Jamie sit off for hours waiting for him to get his, his noggin checked. And it was it was just horrendous. The saving the saving grace of it all was that actually the three staff, one of the staff was the actual head teacher. 
And I think if if it was if she wasn't there, we would have done everything that we could have done, but there just would have been so much after interrogation. Do you know what I mean? It would just Yeah, it's it's that kind of did you do this, did you do that, did you do this, did you do that? Yeah. And they could the real time they saw the decisions there and were part of it. So I suppose the, the locus of control was it was, it was good that they were there then they could see that all the, uh, the the i's and t's were crossed but it does make you double check yourself don't you you think what what we did you you, you doubt yourself don't you we did say to the children to to, to be my and you, and you read through the you read through the risk assessments again don't you to make sure everything's airtight yeah. and that there's nothing coming back on you because that's all you, you and you know you probably have that thing of like What's little Jimmy's parents like? Are they the are they the type to make a big issue out of this? Are they the type to turn around and go, "Oh, little Jimmy fell out of bed," you know? Because you do yeah. get some that are like, "Oh, you know, little Jimmy fell out of bed," you know? Or you get others going like, "How dare you? Was nobody watching my? You know, why didn't you put a pillow in the? You yeah. just don't know could, what you're going to get, well don't you? To be um, yeah, to be fair to Jamie's mom, I mean, she she was never um, the greatest at being available. Her, she had actually recently changed their mobile phone number, so the detail that we had on all the details of the kids was wrong. So we had to improvise and get in touch with another family member through another way. It was, all, it was just, it was just one of those things. Is what on earth do we do now? Because <laughs> we couldn't get hold of her at first. So she, she didn't complain. Um, I don't think she had many rights to complain after we couldn't get her on the on hold of her on the phone, but it did it did end out all okay in the end. And Jamie, even though he missed his he missed the second day of the trip, he was fine and uh, loved coming into school on the Thursday or Friday. I think with uh, still a massive bump on his head, and he, but he you loved know, come the, when uh, he leaves, attention. it's what you're but, saying. When he leaves, it'll be. Remember that time you fell out of bed? <laughs> it be, it becomes it becomes a legendary story now, doesn't it? You know, like I, and we've all got I've got legendary stories of standing out at twelve o'clock at night. You know, com, you know, dressing gowns and the kids, you know, in dressing gowns because one of the children, um, let's just say, I let it, you know had a telegram for a number two, oh. and decided that they would then spray deodorant to get rid of said foul odor. And thus set the fireworks off. <laughs> the rumor went round of you know it wasn't that the it was the the spray that set the fireworks off. It was the noxious gas from said child's posterior that set off. We all have. We, if, you, if you if you were to draw up a, a kind of one of those and write a book of funny stories from school trips, it'd probably be a bestseller, wouldn't it? You know, it'd be a crack for that. Yeah, it, it wouldn't it. You know, the, I once had a, a bunch of children. And and obviously, um, I've always had every once in a while a child who does accents, and and of course I'm I'm for, I can fall foul of it. So I, I, I my accents not the most difficult in the world to do, but I had one student who was very good at doing me, very 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 good to such a point I was losing my rag with these these year nines back in the day when you could shout at children without consequences, you know, because now these days it's like oh, restorative justice. Now uh, back in the good old days, you could go hard or basically, you know put the fear of God into them. You will go home. Your parents will be called. Next time I have to come up this corridor, you are going home. And they had Sergeant Major Poland basically unleashed and he was not happy because it was 11 o'clock at night and these kids weren't going to bed. 
And uh, so I came up at about quarter past 11 thinking they're all going to be asleep. They've had Sergeant Major Poland. So knocked, knocked on the doors, heard, heard some of the kids talking. He's like, what, what's, what's going on? And they were packing. He told us to go home. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean told you to go home? That, that was 15 minutes ago. You, you, you're back asleep. No. And the one room that wasn't packing, there was just sniggering from the kids until I says, what, why aren't you guys? And, and he just gave himself away. He says, it's me, sir. He says, show me what you did. And he went up to the corridor and he literally toned everything absolutely perfect. I went downstairs to my colleagues and I dragged him downstairs and says, would you show, show them what you just showed to me? And they were in absolute stitches. And I should have punished them, but I couldn't. How could I punish them? He absolutely completely destroyed me. I had to tip my hat to the kid and go, but that's it. That became a thing. Every year he produced a video. And he even had a, a website, Make Poland History, back in the good old days when it was Make Poverty History, like 2005, <laughs> 2006. And again, I, this, this kid reconnected with me about 10 years later. And what's the first thing he said? Do you remember that time? Yeah, remember that time you ripped off my accent? How are you, how are you doing? And he's doing stand-up. I'm thinking, of course he's doing stand-up because he was doing stand-up. He's doing stand-up in year nine when he was absolutely completely destroying his teacher by pretending. And that's the power of it, isn't it? That that story then becomes he fell out of bed, and luckily, fingers crossed. Of course, you always—that's the thing. Anything that happens, you panic, don't you? you? You try not to panic, but inside your stomach is churning. I'm sure that's what the feeling you get, isn't it? Your stomach is churning, like what could happen here? And it's, it's somebody else's children, isn't it? It's one of your own children. It's fine. Exactly, exactly. And the thing the thing is, in September, I've got Jamie again in my class, also along with his two, uh, his twin sisters as well, as well. So if we are to do a residential somewhere, I will be packing them in bubble wrap. <laughs> you they will the pillow they will under sleep, their bed. They will sleep on the floor with nothing <laughs> around them whatsoever. Oh, man. I had it last week, we had... We had um... We had a, um, an incident with the marshmallow and it was basically kids having a campfire, a marshmallow, and one of yeah. the children just walked past another child with a marshmallow, slightly brushed them with it. The marshmallow was stuck and then the child did what the most instinct would be to rub, rub it off and then they rubbed the molten part. Oh, that was it. They, you know, they didn't complain. They just went, I've got marshmallow and we started rubbing it. Like, stop, stop, stop. They actually rubbed the really hot part. That was a hospital Again, the child was absolutely completely stoic and um, was brilliant. Parent was wrong. You know, two, two colleagues went, and this is Wales. The Wales NHS is fantastic. Straight into the hospital. No problem whatsoever. Parent was brilliant. But we were then having to do the, the write up the, the report afterwards going like, what mitigation is that? And you're like, it's just one of those things. There was no, nothing you could have done. Children just walking past each other with a marshmallow. And you're going, oh God. And we we're all going, oh God, we're going to get it when we go home, aren't we? We're going to get it. But that's the fear of it, is the fear of, of something. There are taking children on a trip is a risk, isn't it? And as long as it is, if there's everything in a risk, isn't it? I mean, every day is a risk, <laughs> but as long as you've done everything to mitigate those circumstances as much as possible. But yeah, it just shows you that even, even when you tell them to sleep in the bottom bunk, <laughs> they still have an accident. <laughs> yeah, so I'm definitely going to have second thoughts about. Um... Whether Jamie's two sisters are going to be on the residential this year, but we'll see. Maybe we'll do it in in some sort of soft play area or something instead. Oh gosh, the soft play areas. I mean, have you, have you seen the children in soft play areas? Oh, I don't mean like a jelly beans. I mean something where it's really timid. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't the thing though? And this is it's risk and reward. And and yeah. I, I'm terrible for it myself. I, I 
in my own life, I'm a risk taker. I've always been. I've jumped out of airplanes. Uh, and you, I've fallen out of three. It was funny when the, the kids were climbing last week and they were like, it's high up there. I'm like, what would happen if you if you fell from that far? I'm like, ah, at your age, I fell that far. I put my tooth through my, my top lip. You'd be all right. You'd be fine. And the looks they're giving me like, are you all right? So I'm like, ah, you're fine. Don't worry about it. And the instructors have been looking at me going like, you fell from that height. Yeah, I fell from that height by their age. How many bones have you broken? About seven, six, yeah, a couple of ankles. And because that was the thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to sound my age there. I went swimming in the sea, you know what I mean, when I was seven or eight years old. Yes, my older brother was there. I mean, I, I sort of equate my childhood to an episode of Stand By Me with River Phoenix and those guys going looking for a dead body. These these days now, they can't go five minutes without a text message saying, are you all right? You know what I mean? Yeah. We were told that we, 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 we were kids. Oh, you know, stranger danger. Never get into a car full of strangers. No, it's just none of that. I just think maybe I'm getting very old and very cranky, but I think health and safety is important. Absolutely. But maybe we've become too, as you say, you, you just hit the nail on the head, haven't you? Maybe the next time I'll go with even safer. The kids will sleep on the floor, even when you've mandated the kids to not, you know, go on the bunk beds. They fall over. And yet that's going to happen but it's that fear isn't it and i think that's that's one of the things but that's brilliant paul that's absolutely brilliant even when you've done everything right <laughs> mm, i know you can't you, you can only do what you can can't you but would you, know. you what's the best trip you've done then what's the one that you say to yourself if you had all the staff all the money what would you at primary because i'll tell you what i i think at secondary so we'll do a primary secondary if you had infinite resources staffing not a problem and money not a problem, and everything was taken care of. What would the trip from your kids in your area? Because you've spoken before about the kids in your area, obviously coming from less worldly, more deprived. What would you say could be the trip that would be maybe life changing for them? I would say, I'd say anything that links the beach with outdoor outdoor activities because there's kids on there's kids on our estate who have barely left the estate for various reasons you know transport or money or lack of parental drive to to actually give them experiences so there's there's kids who have never been to the beach and if we could do a residential where we stayed at the beach and they did all the things that you would get from like a, a forest school but in that sort of environment, that would be that'd be mind blowing to some of them. You so know? you can imagine like um, scuba diving, or yes. or something long surfing, scuba diving, bodyboarding. Any, um, anything, yeah, anything that would that would stretch them. I mean, that's the I think that's that's the the main purpose of a residential really is to widen the horizons and challenge them in ways that they wouldn't have in the classroom. That's that's basically what it's got to be. So I, I, having something like that would be incredible. And I mean, I had um, one of my kids uh, a few weeks before we finished said, uh, oh, I'm going, I'm going to Liverpool. I'm going to Liverpool with my mum. Now, this is uh, a Polish kid who's lived over here for about a year. Uh, and I said, oh, that's, that's great. What, what are you looking forward to? Going on the train. I've never been on a train, he said. You know, and that's not just a Polish thing. There's kids in my class who've lived on the estate who've never been on a train. And sometimes we take things like that for granted. Go on the beach, yeah, yeah. We, did that when we were kids, going on a train, yeah, it happens every now and then. But 
it's just mind blowing to some of them that they actually could do those sorts of things. And that's what a residential should be, giving them experiences that they wouldn't normally get. And and the other thing is you get to you get to see the other side, don't you? Um I, I, I saw a lot the other side of again, residentials. I've seen sides of personalities that children didn't know there are talents they didn't know where they were. I saw a student last week who, you know, struggles academically. Mm. Guy went up a, a climbing wall like a cat, absolutely up the climbing wall. Like, it's just so natural. Looked at the instructor and said, that's natural, body body, uh, body smarts. And um, it just fluidly, without even thinking, as soon as, he, as soon as he came back down, of course, he got the harness all mixed up, nearly tripped over again. I thought, oh, he's back to normal. And it was just, it was one of those things you saw a child that I didn't think had any sort of, you know, it hasn't got, a lot of confidence in his academic abilities and struggles struggles will follow instructions but once the harness was on and once that climbing wall was there i says right up you go i'll time you and he was up and down that wall like an absolute you know batman it was it was amazing and and it was no, it was amazing to have that conversation with that student who normally my interactions are what are you doing why'd you do that you know i'll keep asking the questions and i keep getting answers i don't want to know but there i was able to go wow you're a good climber you're a natural climber and now i'm able to know that come anytime I'm sort of saying, well, you know, that time you went up that, that, that climbing wall, you've got a natural, do you ever think of, you know, did you ever think about doing something like that? That could be that conversation or that little discovery. It's like the Lewis Hamilton thing. If Lewis Hamilton's dad hadn't been into go-karting, he wouldn't have been the world champion. If if Rory McIlroy's dad hadn't have been taking him down to a golf course at four years old, he wouldn't be. If Mozart's dad hadn't bought him a piano, yeah. surely, you know, it's the thing, isn't it? You, you know, one of the, the, I often think, you always look at yourself and think, if I had those opportunities, First time I had McDonald's, I was 18 years old when I went to Ecuador because there's no McDonald's in Northern Ireland because they kept blowing them up. Um, <laughs> there's a long story in that. Well, yeah. wouldn't want to pay a bit protection money. But that's the thing. I, my first time I got on an airplane was, was going away. And, and you think that was the opportunity to open my eyes to the world. And that was was done for me. And I, I just that's why I've always thought that residentials are one of the most important things that we do as schools. But as you're saying, and I'm both saying as well, they are a risk-taking exercise. They are a, a nervous-taking exercise. They they are, you know, they're tricky now, and, and they are complicated, and I think they become more complicated. What do you think then, Paul, that some of the, the children now, you're going to have a disparity. Some children have been to the beach. Some people, some of your children probably have been on holidays abroad. Mm. Do you see the difference between the haves and the have-nots, the massive difference between them because i see that i see children who you know have two or three foreign holidays a year versus children who have never been on a foreign holiday and the, the and, and of course the correlation is the children that have those other experiences I just so happen to be the ones who i think have the cultural capital to do better they're more confident they're more you see where i'm going with that yeah 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 there's kids there's kids in class who've like you say have been fortunate enough to go on regular holidays this that and the other I think when it comes to um, learning about topics and, you know, things but generally about the world or things like that, geography is a good one. They tend to be quite good. But there's also ways that kids who have been on, kids who have almost been fortunate to do all of those things and have it handed to them, when they're given a... Um, a challenge, one that might make them feel um, a little bit scared or a little bit uncomfortable. Sometimes it can work the other way. They're less willing to to put themselves out there. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's kids who've who've had to go through so many things at home and everything else. Maybe a kid in a family of five kids, six kids, who often have to, you know, not fend for themselves all the time, or maybe sometimes fend for themselves, but have to stick up for themselves or be strong in sort of certain uncertain situations. And it's interesting how kids can um, thrive in some challenge some challenges that might seem really difficult whereas kids who have been handed everything to them aren't ready for that kind of it's the uh, street smarts isn't it it's that yeah kind of, it is yeah maybe not street smarts isn't it yeah yeah like it's the worldliness in some ways they're that they're, they are more worldly more tuned um more confident in the real world is that difference between academic smarts versus you know, uh, around the world, people smarts. Um, because I mean, I, I I learned pretty quick the people smarts because that's one of the reasons I was able to travel around the world. Um, because I, I suppose the thing is, my parents always in, in, imbued me with curiosity and risk taking. So I was actually encouraged to take risks as a child. And, and equally, if I got hurt, I mean, of course, my, my mother's terrible for it. I broke my ankle about four four years ago playing football. The first response was, well, you still got another working ankle. You're all right, son. <laughs> so um, I'd say that the resilience and stoicism for my parents is, is beyond off the scale, basically. So, so I'm, I'm quite fortunate. And again, my two best friends are the same. We all, you know, as soon as we hit a certain, and that's in our culture, as soon as we hit a certain age, there's people in my village, half, half of them relocated to New York. And, and, and I, I went to New York and there I arrived and I remember 61st in Woodside in Queens. And there was half my class there. It was just, it was just, this, it was, what's the word for it? It was just assumed that, that we would go and see the world at a certain age, culturally speaking, because that was in our kind of, that was what we were expected to do. Um, but I was only able to do some of that because of the residential trips I'd been on because what Adam was saying earlier on, there was a culture of it in our school, a culture of it in our community, a culture of outwardly looking on towards the world, even though we came from a, which was on paper a deprived uh, background in the, the, the situation which we were dealing with, the, the troubles. But we were still always outwardly looking, still always looking to be educated. And I suppose that's the thing is um, my best friend said this to me uh, on my wedding day and as part of my wedding speech. And he says the worst part about traveling around the world with me was, even when you didn't ask for a geography and history lesson, you just got a geography and history lesson. And I am terrible for it. In other words, I see residentials as a learning opportunity. I've always seen anytime I travel as a learning opportunity. I'm taking my children to France. I'm going to be getting them to be speaking French mm. because I, I, take the, I, I see that as not just a, a trip to France to sit on a beach or anything. I see it as a learning opportunity, which I think I've carried into education where I'm pro, you know, wanting to do residentials. But even I, who's pro-residential, has exactly the same niggle of, do I want to run them? No. Do I want the bureaucracy? No. Do I want the responsibility of looking after other people's children? <laughs> no. Do, do I want to have bring a parent up and say, sorry, your child has just had an accident? Oh, my word. It's the worst phone call ever to make, isn't it? Yeah. It's horrible. It's absolutely horrible, isn't it? Yeah. And I don't know whether you've... Um, I don't know whether this was a deliberate link or anything about wordly being worldly and culture or anything, but Miss T is uh, is here as well. Oh, yes. Oh, is Miss T going to speak? Oh, I think she... Hello, Miss T. Hi, how are you? How's Saudi Arabia? Yeah, it's good. I'm back in sunny North Wales um, for the summer. Oh, whereabouts? 
Uh, I'm literally just outside of Rithin. Oh, yeah. lovely. I love North Yeah, Wales. that's where I live. Um, yeah, this is where I've lived for years. So back here for what you could suppose can call summer. It's not really summer. Well, you're on that wild Atlantic coast, well, Irish Sea, but it gets the Atlantic yeah. current as yeah. well. So, yeah, and here, windswept. Yeah, windswept and interesting. But, um, yeah, so I was just going to talk about, like, a hilarious school trip. So, um, Oh, far yeah, away. Yeah, so when I um, when I taught up here, um, every year we used to have a skills week where, like, the last week of term we would do every single year group would do like mad activities like every day was something different and I used to take year nine to Chester Zoo and so over two days I would take 80 students a day to Chester Zoo and it was wild like you're talking about like risks and stuff and and then we just didn't have the staffing so I used to have to put them in groups so I'd have 80 kids I'd have between between 10 and 12 groups and we'd have little rendezvous points throughout the day and things like that. And it used to be like my ultimate fear <clears throat> was that one of them would go missing or one of them would try and get in to something or, you know, like cause <laughs> chaos in the back cave or, you know, just, just like it was, I used to be literally anxiety riddled for the 48 hours that I had to take the two groups. But, um, and we only had one incident over four years, and please tell me it's not a lion. It wasn't. It wasn't a lion, um, thankfully. Um, it was in the butterfly house, um, bizarrely enough, and um, <laughs> it was in the butterfly house. And I'd love to know the science behind this, but I don't. I don't know. But this poor boy just got absolutely swarmed by butterflies, and. You know, normally they're quite aloof when you walk through a butterfly house. They kind of, they sometimes land on you. That's like a scene from Avatar it, when he all the little things come. This poor child was <laughs> covered in butterflies. They were all on his face. They were all like on his hands. They were, they were, it was like he was sweating and they were going for that. It's got to be pheromones. It's got to be some pheromones. Awesome. So it's, it's aftershave yeah, or something. Or something yeah. scented he's used. But this poor child, like, maybe the meeting season. I, I just don't think he didn't know he had a fear of butterflies but he definitely had a fear of butterflies so he was just screaming and all these butterflies were all on him and the poor kid was borderline catatonic by the time we got him out and the Chester Zoo staff were amazing and they were like because obviously they have to be so careful they were like trying to individually pick butterflies off him and he was and he's like screaming and when we got him out like I had to phone his mom because he was like he was so stressed and like I'd got a suspicion I couldn't tell but I got a suspicion he might have wet himself and like he was super stressed so, oh, I, so I phoned his mom and his mom was <laughs> I had to basically tell the story like four times on the phone because she was like what what's happened butterflies <laughs> And I was like, listen, I was like, I know it doesn't sound that bad. I was like, but it actually was quite traumatic. He had to be. I was like, they, they were sort of all on his face and, and, and he's like really scared. And when she got there, this poor, the, the best way I can describe it is if you're a Harry Potter fan, it looked like Dudley after the Dementors. He, he, oh. was, he was gray and like clammy. And, and I said to his mom, I was like, I don't think it's medical, but I, I, I do think he's, he's had a full-blown like sort of a panic attack and luckily mom was great 
mum was amazing um, and she was like that you couldn't write it and I was like, like in Chester Zoo were apologising and they didn't know why it had happened and, and then I, lit- I kept getting stopped by like members of the public asking if the boy from the butterflies was okay because it was just like this poor child but yeah like, I used to just be so stressed that something one of them was going to try and get in with a rhino or just you know, and I... so look at me. This Paul takes a child and says, "No one at top bunk." Child falls off the bottom bunk and has to go to hospital. Yeah. You take a child to a, da- a zoo full of dangerous animals, yeah. and he gets, he gets a by a butterfly. And it was it was mad. Um, but then you you guys then said about how like it's so worth it, and like, and it is. Yeah. So I had one of the greatest moments of of, of my of my life, um, was. There was a young boy and he was from um he was from Chester and he was very much one of these boys where gaming was just his life. He did not care about the outdoors. He he wasn't he wasn't outdoorsy at all. And one of the few kids who I could genuinely see going on to do some sort of profession to do with gaming, because he was very mm. serious about it and, and and all the rest of it. And he uh he stopped me in uh when we were walking around the zoo and he was like miss and I was like yeah and he was like I didn't know that camels were real and I was like and no. I was like sorry and he was like he was like the one with the with the humps and I was like yeah and he was like I, I didn't think they were real he was like I, I no. thought they were like unicorns oh, <laughs> and I was like oh um and what age? Year nine. 13, 14. I know. Oh and I was like, what do you mean? I was like, we've done about them in biology with adaptation and and camels. And he was like, yeah. He was like, but I didn't think they actually looked like that. He was like, I didn't think they actually had humps on their back. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they're real. And... And I kept seeing him, and he was—he was never that far from the camels. Because fascinated yeah. by what, what? But isn't that the glorious moment exactly. that happens of learning? When and and it happens in the classroom sometimes, but it doesn't happen. I think exponentially doesn't happen as much as or as quick as what you get when you're out doing something like that, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the, the 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 learning capacity, the memory making. I'm sure somebody studied the memory of it. I mean, my kids remember my school trips because they, it's the same as the memory of holidays. There's something about committing that kind of memory. It's the visceral thing. It's the touch, the smell, the sound. It, it hits all the senses, doesn't it? For really? sure. And, like, we had some, like, really funny moments where, like, um, where, you know, we had one student, for example, who was who was hearing impaired um, and had only recently joined the school and she'd never been to a zoo and she went into the monkey enclosure and she wouldn't come out for ages because she just loved the noise because it's so echoing there. It's really loud. And she was like, and she just didn't, she didn't, she knew that they made noise, but she'd never been able to hear it as clearly as she could in the monkey enclosure in the zoo. Oh. And so she was just, and she was absolutely in awe of the noise that they made because in Chester Zoo, they've got howlers, howler monkeys. So they were yeah. really like loud and everyone else is running through because it's so loud. But for her, it was just, 
she she, she was just loving it she was like I, I, I didn't know that they sounded like this I didn't know it was this loud and you know and she could really hear them and and so for me it'll it's always worth the risk the, it is and that's yeah I'm still on that side of even though all of the doubts and the fears that I have when I'm out with the kids and taking the kids out somewhere and you just see that moment um you know showing them something like the Himalayas. I had that five years ago. Showed the kids in Himalaya. I sat with one of my pupils, just looking at the Himalayas at five o'clock in the morning, the sunrise. And it's just one of those. You just, he just turns and says, "Sir, I'm so glad I'm here." And you just go, "I'm so glad I'm here." And you share them. You share those moments together. That's the thing. It's all about relationships. There's nothing better that builds relationships 100%. than shared collective experience, yeah, isn't it? Um, I got a fat kid to finish D of E silver. <laughs> and she was buzzing. Davy's brilliant. Davy like, like, is absolutely brilliant. Never, yeah. you know, this was the biggest physical challenge she had ever done, and and she finished it. And I was like, like, and she finished, and not even like at the back. She wasn't even at the back. She finished with everyone else. Yeah, you know, and she yeah. tried to quit like three or four times, and I and I and I was like, no, I was like, we're, I was like, we're not quitting because if we quit, I have to go back and get my car, and this is really irritating for me. So we're, we're going to carry on walking. And she finished. Yeah, I, I've I've done DV, but I have to take somebody with me who's a little more gentle than me. Yeah. I, I'm, somebody gentle is always need to be put yeah, with me sure. because I find myself into sergeant major mode. You know where I, I go beast yeah. mode. And I, I also start doing it as well. So I'm terribly competitive. I'm so, so bad so, for it. But I always think it's a good thing. Because you want to you want to lead by example, yeah. like climbing and stuff like that. And say, I can do it. Come on, I'm, I'm an old guy. And up I go. And yeah. They're like, so, you show it off against her. Well, come on. And don't get me wrong. I'm scared too yeah. as well. But there's nothing better when you show them, conquer your fears, conquer your fears. Yeah. And I think, if anything, I think you've hit the nail on the head again. Like Paul had. I think a generation of children actually probably need these residentials more because of the sedentary lifestyle, because, like you say, they think a camel doesn't exist. I think they're in danger of retreating from the world. Yeah. And again, post-COVID, I think we need to get them back into that world out there, get them into residential, get them into trips. Yeah. So I think the need is never more never more there. Yeah, I... But the barriers to it are, are stronger. So there's kind of two things working the opposite, you know, they, we need to do them more, but our ability to do them because of what cost, yeah. bureaucracy, all the things we've discussed are pushing back again. So you've got two things pushing the opposite direction. And I think in the end, what should win is our desire to enrich children by taking them on residentials yeah. should be stronger. And I think um, Paul, Paul you know, benefited from that. I say that and, and equally Adam, who's currently on a residential right now of kids in Portugal, is saying exactly the same thing. But it's not to say I don't understand why some staff don't do it. I'm in that situation where I get why some people don't want to do them because if their fear is they don't want to take the risk. But I, I'm like you, absolutely, Miss T. I'm, th I'm, I'm with residentials all the way. In fact, I think when I retire, I'm probably going to end up in an outdoors yeah, <laughs> I mean, residential centre. I mean, the thing is for me is like I've actually refused before to do one. So like a couple of years ago, I was invited on the ski trip and, and I refused to do it. I was like, get somebody else to do it because... I've got no interest in skiing um, and I'm also um, acutely aware that skiing is just accident prone. Like it's just, you know, kids break knees, kids break ankles, don't they, when they ski? Staff. Staff. I, I, yeah. when I, my last ski trip I went 12 years ago, one of my colleagues had, uh, she was six months out, she was in a cast yeah. for six months, she had surgery. 
And it was actually one of our children that skied her into a mountain <laughs> called <Cluster. God>. um, <laughs> Poor kid never lived it down. But yeah, so I, I refused to go because I just, I said like, you know, I, I it's not for me. And like, I feel like if I'm going to run trips or if I'm going to do trips, I want it to be something I'm passionate about, interested in and can and can push that passion onto the kids and to really enthuse them. I'm not going to enthuse mm. them with skiing because, and I also, I don't want to be responsible for what is, just super dangerous and i i don't i i don't think for me the, the risk outweighs the reward with a ski trip for that i, do. I suppose that's the point isn't it? You, you've got to put the round peg in the round that's hole it. i mean that, that's why last week i was on activity week and the, the staff that went on that activity week all joined in they all yeah. climbed they all abseiled because they are the type you know it was two pe teachers myself and another colleague and you sort of think we were there because we had already sort of bought into yeah. it we already and we already volunteered so you had the willing and therefore it was a really successful week yeah. because the staff pulled together we we, we were we were there not because we we're told we were there it's intrinsic we were there because we wanted to be we believe in what we were yeah delivering. and that was like the um, and the yeah. for me like these are things that i believe are super enriching for these kids and so i'm already 100 percent on board and i'm as excited getting off that bus going to the zoo as they are like I'm like, woo, day at the zoo. <laughs> the butterfly and yeah, maybe not about the butterflies, but you know, like I'm super excited and I'm super keen for it. And I think that that's also important. And I do see sometimes on Twitter staff who've had horrible experiences at like PGL and and other sort of residentials, and and it is often that they were forced to go. And I do think that that's a problem. I think that it has to be voluntary, and staff have to be it has to be something that the staff are comfortable doing as well because. Because, you know, accidents often happen. Um, it's a mentality yeah. thing, isn't it? You've got to go in with that right mentality. But, yeah. but I'd say it's the same in teaching. If you go in with the mentality of, I think it mirrors teaching. Yeah. And again, it's a choice of subject. If you're forced to do a subject you don't want to do and, and you're forced to teach it a way you don't want to teach it, there's, there's a lot in choice. Because I suppose the thing is, if the residential is choice as well, the ch children choose to yeah. come. And that's the same with the children. There's nothing worse than the children who are like, oh, I didn't want to go on this trip with my parents. And I had, I had a couple of them last week. Oh, parents thought it'd be good for me to go and do this. And I'm like, oh, yeah. you're being dragged here. Yeah. Versus, I can't wait to do this, sir. Can you wait to go? And, and it's like the children I'm taking away next year to Borneo already. They're, they're fundraising. They've been fundraising. They're already, sir, can we do some fun? It's fitness. So they're already knocking down the door to me saying, when are we going to do some fitness? Because this is the, it's their trip. They're... Yeah. They're fundraising for their trip, which means they're earning the right to go on that yeah. trip. I suppose that's the other thing as well is, you know, some colleagues do believe that some children don't deserve to go on the trip. I don't think that sometimes. I think sometimes we've taken a risk on children who others have said, never, never, don't take that child in a residential. And from that residential, yeah. you see a different side of that child and you've changed the course of our, I think they are a great, you know, game changer yeah, residentials like I had, when and, and... i took year nine to the zoo like i had a really strict thing of like every child can come to the zoo like doesn't matter what their behavior <coughs> whatever every child is on that trip automatically and um, if they mess around on the day i've got a member of staff with a car to take them home but that's you know irrelevant the, the fact is that everyone's invited and i had loads of staff be like oh gosh you're brave taking those or you're brave taking this one or that <coughs> they were Excuse golden me. and they were golden because it was a day at the zoo they were allowed to go around with their friends and you know they were in uniform so i could easily spot them they you know <laughs> i had kids who who truanted who were who were a nightmare in school but they were at that meeting place at the right time every time like because 
I gave them the freedom. I gave them the responsibility. And I yeah. said, you know, you go and do this. And then I got the absolute pleasure of walking back into school and being like, you were wrong. You were wrong about those boys. You were wrong yeah. about that girl. Or you were wrong about these. You know, they, they were yeah. perfect. And then being able to phone their parents and say they were amazing. Like, And that's that phone call that they're used to getting sometimes. Because the phone call they're used to getting yeah. sometimes is this, that. And that's, that's the conversation I had with some of the parents as I took the kids off the bus. Uh, I had one student who kept me up until the quarter past one. He says, oh, sir, it's going to ruin the week. He says, no, you've been brilliant apart from yeah. this. And I'll say that to your mum. And mum kindly says, oh, I'm sorry. He says, no, you had a bad moment. But at the same time, I saw this, 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 and this. Yeah. Because there's more positive and good. And it's, it's it's about changing that narrative that actually, you know, it is worth. And don't get me wrong, there has been horrors. Some of my colleagues have had horrible harbour residentials where some children have just gone and done horrible things. It does happen. No matter what you do, it's choices. No matter what you do sometimes, even you do it yeah. right. Like, you know, take your kids to the zoo, the butterflies will catch them. Yeah. Or <laughs> put, put kids in the bottom, they'll fall out of the bottom. Of, you cannot. People, human beings are human beings. Kids yeah. are kids. And sometimes you've done everything right. And it just hasn't yeah. worked. But then you get back on the horse, and for every time it doesn't work, there's ten times I think yeah. it works. Um, and that, that's that. That's I think my law of averages because of, of all the residentials I've been on, um, there's been few that I've walked out and said, "Oh God, that was horrible." There's been some that have horrible moments, <clears throat> but my 19 years and I've done, God, how many residentials now? I've done maybe one, two a year, um, and mostly with my tutor group. I've always gone on residential with my tutor group. Um, and that that's one of the things to build up the relationship after five years. One of the things I'm always talking about. Remember in year seven, you did this, remember you fell off the swing and it just builds this relationship. But I'm going to have to look at the time because we've gone way over, but I could not not go way over. Tom's got to tell me off for this because he's like, this is typical me. Um, but I'll just leave you with this one. Lepidoterophobia is the fear of butterflies or moths. Yeah. Lepidoterophobia. There you go. It's the fear of butterflies and moths. If anybody out there has got lepidoterophobia, um, God, God bless good. But yeah, thank you, Miss T, and thank you to Paul as well. Thank you for Adam from Portugal. Thank you for Tom for admining. And uh, don't forget, we are sponsored by Pearson MFL, um, who of course talk of cultural capital. Languages does brilliant for cultural capital. And again, if we are going to do some residentials abroad, nothing better than taking children on a residential abroad where they actually get to speak a foreign language. Um, not only do they get to speak a foreign language, they're able to translate it back into their native language, which I think increases their confidence. And that's one of the things that Pearson um, have tried to do with their UMFL, is try and make the, the curriculum more accessible and more contemporary. So less of the 1990s stuff and a lot more of the contemporary stuff. So not looking for the horse butchers, but looking for something that is like, for instance, a lot more relevant to them in these days. So that's Pearson's MFL qualification, ready to go in two. 2024. Don't forget, you can be a host of us, Teacher Talk Radio. Um, some of the guys who phoned in have later gone become hosts. So, Paul and Miss T, there you are, two individuals who I think would make fantastic Teacher Talk Radio hosts. Uh, we get to have good banter with people like myself and Tom and many of the others in the team as well. Um, Paul, Paul told me, Brent, that he he couldn't do it because he's not as good as you. That's what he said to me when I asked him. Oh, it, Paul is brilliant. I think Paul, I, I would happily share, I'd happily share, I'd happily walk through Paul, we, 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 more than happy for Paul. That, that I, I, I get meant to you, Paul. You'd be brilliant. You'd be absolutely brilliant. Look, look if, Tom, if, Tom, if Tom can do it, and he's a fellow Evertonian, you can do it. You know what I mean? There's hope for us all. Well, you know, next season, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> At least you've got a midfield. It's not been off to Saudi Arabia or somewhere else. My gosh. Yeah. Let's not start on that one. Uh, is there something on nine o'clock, Tom, on the other side? 
Uh, not today. Paul's not on, I don't think, this oh, week. Cool, so. cool. The, so other, the other I'm, Paul, not that Brilliant. Paul. No, they'll pull. So I'm taking a break for uh, a week of being in France. So I don't think I'm going to be able to get signal from the Mast- Massif Central. I might send a smoke signal up. So I'll be um, off uh, next week, obviously. And I think I need to check for the week after. I might be doing that one from Ireland. So you might get a teacher talk radio first from the mountains of Mourne where the White Walkers come. Actually, literally where Game of Thrones is set. Yeah, literally, my home, my home is where Game of Thrones is set. You know, have you not noticed that? I'm definitely one of the Stark homeland people. The wild north, that's where I come from. Anyway, so it's been, been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. And, of course, you can listen to, to any of our Teacher Talk radios um, on uh, Podbeam. And you can also get us this Twitter space uh, for the next um, 30 days. And equally, if you are taking a bit of a summer break, you can download any of our stuff and stick it on your old um, iPlayer or whatever you get. iPlayer, iPod. I got an iPod the other day. I dug it out. I had an iPod from 15 years ago. My music taste has not changed in 15 years. That's all I'm going to say. I've got my old iPod with 7,000 songs on it. And I still listen to exactly the same music I listened to 15 years ago. That's all I'm going to say on that one. So if you've got your iPod, it still downloads podcasts onto iPods. So there you go. Anyway, thank you. And you've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.